Heavenly Father, we've read your word. It contains this fantastic promise that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies may serve you freely, without fear, in holiness and righteousness before you all our days. This is your word, Lord, it's not ours. You're the one who says it and you're the one who does it. And we're asking today that by your living spirit and through your resurrection power, you will be working this afresh in us with life that invigorates our faith. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The scripture says that we serve him without fear, but I'm scared this morning. But I'm not scared of our enemies, I'm scared of me really. I'm scared that I'm going to mess this up. But I don't think God wants it messed up, to tell the truth. And our hope is in God, not in ourselves, isn't it? You see, this is a big theme. Broken chains, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all our days. That's pretty big, isn't it? Now, Zechariah was filled with the Spirit when he spoke these words. And let's just remind ourselves of the circumstances. If those who read history are right, 2014 has got it wrong. (laughs) We should be 2020. Okay? We won't argue about it. It's not a problem. 2020 years ago, Two little boys were about to be born. Both of them were miracle babies. One of them was being, um, the parents were so old that the woman, Elizabeth, was past a childbearing age and had been deemed barren all her life. And Zachariah, her husband, was told that she would have a child if you remember, while he was on duty in the temple in Jerusalem. Now the faith of that man astonishes me. Let's say he's 80, I'm 70. Let's say he's 80 and his wife's been barren all his life and an angel Gabriel comes to him and says, I stand in the presence of God and your wife is going to have a baby. Well, I commend them both for their faith and action. It just blows me away. And nine months later, sure enough, we have a pregnant Elizabeth about to to give birth. But, in another place, in Bethlehem, the angel has already appeared also to a young virgin called Mary. And here's another miracle baby who has never known a man, and she is now pregnant. She hears 
that her cousin Elizabeth is miraculously having a baby. So she travels across country and she has spent three months in the house of Zachariah and of Elizabeth. And the baby in Elizabeth's womb has leapt for joy because as the angel said he would be filled with the spirit from the womb had leapt for joy when Mary walked in and the fir- almost the first thing that Elizabeth says prophetically is oh joy that I should see the mother of my Lord. She's been in their house Mary for three months and she's gone home. Zachariah meanwhile has been silent for the whole time of the pregnancy, because he didn't believe the angel in the temple, and so he's been struck dumb all this time. But he's listened. Now, those of you who are ladies will understand this. I'm a bloke, I don't. But Dee has a long-term friend. They were at school together. They see each other twice a year for several days each time. Dee stays with her. Wendy comes and stays with us. From the moment Wendy arrives, they talk. Now, all they do is talk news. They talk about life, they talk about their family, they talk about their children, they talk probably about their husbands, they talk about what they bought and what they're going to wear, they talk about everything, they talk from morning, they talk from night, and they never seem to get tired, and they've always got new news for each other. It's as though they haven't been apart. Do you not think that Mary and Elizabeth did that for three months? So Elizabeth's story and Mary's story have been repeated over and over again. And this man who can, at the moment can't answer back is listening and reading his scrolls and thinking about what the angel has said to him and about the child that his wife is going to give and the child that Mary is going to have and the Holy Spirit has pieced it together in his head so that when John the Baptist, because this is the child he's speaking about, is born. His mouth is opened, he's filled with the Spirit, and all this stuff which he's been thinking about and meditating on and mulling over for several months comes out and he prophesies the Word of God. The time has come. The Messiah is on his way. My own little baby is going to be the Messiah's forerunner. All that God has promised Abraham those centuries ago that he would do for his people Israel is about to be fulfilled. All that God spoke through the prophets through all those succeeding centuries is about to be fulfilled. And I'm a part of this. It's happening now. Hope is being delivered. It's now. And so he prophesies, and he prophesies in God's power. And one of the things that he prophesies is this, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear before him in holiness and righteousness all our days. Now, of course, this was a promise given to the Jews. Abraham is the father of the Jews. But God's promise to Abraham was that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. This is not just a promise for the Jews. 
This is a promise for all who in the end share Abraham's faith, who believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. To all those who believe in the Saviour promised by the prophets and arriving in in Zechariah's day. This is a promise for you and me. But I think we have to unpick it a bit, don't you? That we being delivered from the hand of our enemies. Ah, let's be a bit realistic, shall we? The Messiah comes. He was crucified by those who made themselves his enemies. His twelve disciples became eleven. And then they went out speaking about this Saviour who was risen from the dead. And all of them, tradition tells us, save John, were murdered, persecuted. Some were crucified. One was driven through with a spear. Others were strangled, burnt, stoned. All those disciples you read of, called by Jesus to be his apostles. You look at the early church and how they suffered persecution from Roman emperors, and it hasn't stopped, has it? This persecution of Christians or of Jews Through the centuries the Jews have been harassed. Their own Jerusalem was smashed in the year 70. They were sent into scattered exile all over Europe and the Middle East. They've been smashed and driven into the ground in successive um, tyrannies. Hitler, Stalin, and others. The Jews and also Christians. Do you know that in the 20th century it is reckoned on good figures that 40 million Christians of all persuasion suffered persecution. 40 million. Many of them at the hands of communist secular powers and now here we are in the 21st century and you know what's happening in um, near Mosul we get reports from Sahar who was worshipping here who is on the run from ISIS for being a Christian you being delivered from the hand of your enemies The enemies seem to be all around us. All the time. So what does this mean? Paul does tell us that the day is coming, the advent and second advent of Jesus, when all God's enemies will be put down under his feet. We long for that day but it's not yet. 
So what can it possibly mean? You being delivered from the hand of your enemies. Well, Pete, I don't mean anything personally by this. But if I have you under my hand, I have you under my power. If I lay my hands on you, then unless you're very fortunate, I have power over your will. We're talking about slavery here. I can put you into great fear to the point where because of the fear I place on you, you will submit to my ways rather than to your own ways. That is a tyranny. An enemy. An enemy is a person, and I would add a system, who or which is actively opposed or hostile to someone or something. I was asked this question, who are our enemies? Okay, we know, we know that there are people in other parts of the world who can be thrown into prison, who can be tortured. We understand that kind of enemy. But do we have enemies? Are you free? Are you free in your life to serve before God freely? Unhindered? Uh, without fear of what people might say? Are you? Enemies are often invaders who impose their own idols or ways upon our land. Are there invasive things going on in your workplace or your community or your club or in your thinking, invasive things which actually impose their standards on you to the point where your conscience isn't clear with God anymore? You know. I don't. When enemies invade, they often, certainly in the past, restricted religious expression. Is your expression of your love of God restricted by rules and laws and stuff all around you that keep you hemmed in, even perhaps chained is your Christian freedom subdued except of course when you're here <clears throat> but then of course we bring it with us here too The liberty of those first disciples of Jesus Christ was such that they began to do what Jesus asked them to. They began in Jerusalem, they went into Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth, telling everybody about Jesus. They were unhindered by fear, though many of them perished. 
They were free in their own spirits to talk about what had liberated them and what and who they'd seen in their life with the Lord Jesus Christ. They were free and liberated by the Spirit of Jesus because God was with them. The good news spread all across Europe and has gone all across the world. Do you know that two-thirds of the world population now call itself Christian? And the church is growing in phenomenal measure. In China. In Africa. In South America. But it's in almost terminal decline in Europe. Where we have forgotten the power of gospel. And we have been subdued by the nonsense of the enlightenment which says, which has deified the mind of men and says that nothing is acceptable if it can't be proved by reason. As if God is not spirit, and behind all things is the will of God who is spirit. And so, here in Europe, we have believed the lie. We have become nominal. We have become scared generally in these declining churches. Scared even to declare that God might be a God of miracle and resurrection. That Jesus Christ might be the only one that this one or this one needs for salvation. That Jesus Christ has the word of truth and life. That he is the way to follow and to live. Jesus Christ, no other name given among men under heaven, whereby we must be saved. Yeah, not in Europe though. We are subdued. We are imprisoned. We are brought into fear of an enemy who can cause us terrible disruption through the media and cause us to lose our jobs even if perhaps, unfortunately in our place, the cross we wear is not acceptable to some poor patient in a hospital. And so we're tight-lipped and scared and don't talk about our saviour and many of us have lost our first love. Now, I'm not saying that's you, but when I look at the statistics for Europe, in those terms, I say that's us. And yet the great promise of Jesus is that you, being delivered from the hand of your enemy, may serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days, before the law of the land, before him, before the rule of the directors, before him, before the prejudices of our neighbours, no, that we may serve before him as a worshipping people who take our worship everywhere with us, in our hearts, in our lives, in our attitude, in our love, even for our enemies, 
Because even where we find there are enemies hostile to our faith, Jesus told us to love them. And he told us to pray for those who might persecute us. And he's told us to do good to them and to overcome evil with good, without fear, before him all our days. So who can rescue Europe? I'm sure I must have said this before. There are thousands, millions of people in this world who still have not yet heard the good news of Jesus in sufficient detail that they can make an informed yes or no to the gospel. Still. And you know, there's more and more of those people in Europe. And I've met them in schools as a school chaplain. Children growing up who haven't the faintest idea who Jesus is. Except he's something to do with a rather boring place called church with graveyards. Oh, Lord, wake Europe up. And I include me. Because I've been trapped in this as well. So what is the secret of breaking out? Where does the liberty come from? What is it? I want to give two case studies from Scripture and then read something from Pilgrim's Progress. The two case studies, first of all, the disciples of Jesus. After he was crucified. In John chapter 20, we read of these disciples being in an upper room where the door was closed for fear of the Jews. They were scared that the same thing that happened to Jesus that they would have been arrested and the same thing now would happen to them. That's in John chapter 20. But the last verses of Luke's Gospel have a very different picture. The last verses of Luke's Gospel show us that every day they went out with joy praising God in the temple, in public. full of fear, cowering in an upper room with the doors closed and probably locked. Or expressing this freedom of joy about their salvation in public, in the temple, in the very place where the priests who had Jesus crucified go to worship and minister. What's the difference between the two? Well, I suggest these are the differences. Early in the morning, some women went to the tomb where Jesus had been buried. And they came running back with the ridiculous news, let's face it, that he wasn't there anymore, that he's not dead. Women. That they'd seen him and he's alive. They went and told the disciples, but the disciples didn't believe them. too caught up in their own fears. 
And they didn't yet understand the scripture which said he must rise from the dead. And then, while they were in their locked room, Jesus appeared to them. He didn't rattle on the door and say, come on guys, unlock, I'm outside. Somehow or another, Jesus appeared in the room with them. And they saw for themselves that their dead saviour with the marks in his hands and a week later, Thomas, who wasn't with them on the first occasion, comes and he sees the marks in the hands, the hole in the side. They see their saviour, Jesus, their master, risen from the dead. Somehow, in some new spiritual form that enables him to go in and out of closed doors. Wow. Their whole lives are turned upside down. What is the significance of this? How does this work? But you're alive. What does this mean for us? What does this mean about all the things you said which seem dead with you? a day ago, but are alive with you now. What does all this mean? And suddenly we find that the presence of Jesus with them is enough to persuade them out of their locked doors to a mountain where subsequently Jesus was lifted up before their eyes and taken up into heaven. With angels saying, oh, in the same way that he's gone, he's coming back again. So, the sight of Jesus and something he said to them when he was with them. (sighs) He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The sight of Jesus and receiving the Holy Spirit kicked the fear out of them so that they emerged from their doors. And then when they'd seen Jesus lifted up into heaven, that's when we read in Luke that they went in out of the temple daily praising God. Something had licked the fear. Something had overcome it. The supernatural, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the presence of his spirit with them, the certainty that they were never going to be left alone in this world because he was to be not just with them but in them through the spirit. And they haven't received the spirit for for proclaiming the good news yet in power on the day of Pentecost. But already these are transformed men and there were 120 of them in the room on the day of Pentecost. So we might say in transformed women who met with them. Awesome. That's the disciples. Now then, much later, or several years later, Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle has been through appalling trials and difficulties. And I'm reading from the message, which is not a translation, you understand, but it is an academically produced paraphrase. Okay. 
So in Paul's words, why do you think I keep risking my neck in this dangerous work? I look death in the face practically every day I live. Do you think I'd do this if I wasn't convinced of your resurrection and mine as guaranteed by the resurrected Messiah Jesus? Do you think I was just trying to act heroic when I fought the wild beasts at Ephesus, hoping it wouldn't be the end of me? Not on your life. It's resurrection, resurrection, always resurrection that undergirds what I do and say, the way I live. If there's no resurrection, we eat and drink and the next day we die and that's all there is to it. But don't fool yourselves. Don't let yourselves be poisoned by this anti-resurrection loose talk. Resurrection, 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 he said. That's what undergirds my life and faith. Whatever they do to me, there's a guarantee of your resurrection and mine along with the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ in us. The hope of glory. That's what gives us the courage. Being filled with the Spirit and that assurance I like Pilgrim's Progress I've done it in schools again and again in one school they even blocked off a whole afternoon so that I could have the whole of year 8 and take them through Pilgrim's Progress from beginning to end it's a brilliant story written by a Christian pastor who was in prison for his faith in Bedford, in England. He has a hero, pilgrim, Christian, who meets up with another fellow on his journey to the celestial city, a fellow called Faithful. And together, they come to a city called Vanity Fair, And Vanity Fair is full of the pleasures and false treasures and false securities of this world. Full of stalls with everybody shouting out his wares and saying, this way, this way, mine is the panacea for life. This will give you fame and fortune. This will make you rich. Come here And like all the baubles of earth, they're very attractive. And Christian and faithful walk through this fair with their heads down, trying not to hear what the vendors are saying, trying not to be dragged into buying or longing for the wares of this passing world. And they're noticed, and they're noticed and they're noticed in such a way that people gather around them and began to riot because they're taking no interest in our, in our business, our wares. And a riot begins, and Christian and faithful are put in a cage. They're spat at, they have things thrown at them, they have blasphemies shouted at them. And while they're in the cage, Christian and faithful pray for those who are persecuted. Ask God on behalf of those who are despitefully using them. 
they bless those who are cursing them, which only makes the crowd more angry. So eventually they're taken to court where they stand before a judge and jury. They give only honourable answers, but the judge and jury condemn them. The judge was Lord Hate Good. The jury were Mr. Blind Man, Mr. No Good, Mr. Malice, Mr. Love Lust, Mr. Live Loose, Mr. Heady, Mr. High Mind, Mr. Enmity, Mr. Liar, Mr. Cruelty, and Mr. Hate Life. And the final one was Mr. Implacable. They condemned faithful to death. Somehow within this dream of a story, Pilgrim escapes to complete his journey to the celestial mountains. But faithful is condemned to death. And then we read this. They therefore brought him out to do with him according to their law. And first they scourged him, and then they buffeted him, then they lanced his flesh with knives, and after that they stoned him with stones and pricked him with their swords. Last of all, they burned him to ashes at the stake. Thus came faithful to his end. Now I saw that there stood behind the multitude a chariot and a couple of horses waiting for faithful, who, so soon as his adversaries had dispatched him, was taken up into it, and straightway was carried up through the clouds with sound of trumpet, the nearest way to the celestial gate. But as for Christian, he had some respite and was remanded back to prison. So there he remained for a space. But he that overrules all things, having the power of their rage in his own hand, so brought it about that Christian for that time escaped them and went his way. And as he went, he sang, saying, Well, faithful, thou hast faithfully professed unto your Lord with whom you shall be blessed. When faithless ones with all their vain delights are crying under their hellish plights, sing, faithful, sing, and let your name survive, for though they killed thee, you are yet alive. It is this hope in us, given us, through a faith in Jesus Christ who is risen from the dead and affirmed by his Spirit poured into us that enables us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days and wherever we are. And so we come back to this terrible plight that Europe is in. And I don't know about you, but speaking to the churches 
in Revelation, Jesus sent a message to seven churches, and you know, four of them, believe it or not, were told to repent. Churches! Four of them were told to repent. And one other was told that if they didn't buck up their ideas, he would spew them out of his mouth. And only two of seven were commended from beginning to end. I wonder what he would say to our European Christianity if we could hear him speaking in vision from Patmos today. To the churches then, he said, remember. Remember the faith you had when you first believed. Remember from what you have fallen. Return to that faith. Return to it. And he doesn't say it in these words, but be filled with the Spirit. I want to ask you, you know where you're at with God. You know. But we want to be a people rooted in Jesus whose conviction and passion shines through every part of our life where we serve him courageously So, God bless you. For that blessing to be realized, do you need to remember? Do you need to return? Do you need to be filled again with your Holy Spirit? because I as sure as anything needed to be before I began to preach today. Remember, return to the Lord your God. Be filled with your spirit, because the promise through the coming Messiah was this for you, that you should serve him without fear, that you being delivered from under the threat of your enemies, even though they're all around and about you, from under their threat, should be able to serve him without fear before him in holiness and righteousness all your days. Today, tomorrow, all your days.